Good morning, church. Uh, it's a very joyful pleasure to be preaching this morning, and we're going to be continuing our Ten Commandments series. Uh, just a quick recap for those who weren't here last week, uh, but last week we did the Sixth Commandment, which is do not murder, and we're thankful to Pastor Tim, uh, who brought us through the Sixth Commandment by telling us that, hey, do not murder is more than just taking a knife and stabbing someone in the face or in the body, but actually do not murder is hating people or not loving someone. And Pastor Tim also reminded us that, hey, that loving someone, that do not murder them, actually means that we love people because they are made in the image of God, that they are image bearers, and we are to protect the image bearer of God. So that's the sixth commandment. This week, we're going to go into the seventh commandment, which says, do not commit adultery. So before we do that, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you enable us to come to you with a broken and contrite spirit that you will not despise. And we come before you to listen to your word, to listen to the words of the Bible. Holy Spirit, help us to see you. And help me, Lord, to preach your word. Help me, Lord, to teach the transgressors your ways and teach myself as well who I have transgressed this commandment many times. So Lord, help us and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, the world we live in today is a very hyper-sexualized world. I think we all know that, that most, if not all boys, have been exposed to pornography. And I would reckon that even a growing percentage of girls have been exposed or are currently watching pornography as well. But it's more than just actual pornography that we're dealing with. Every form of media that you have actually has sexualized content. YouTube, movies, advertisements, whatever the case may be, that is the reality of the world we live in, that the media we consume has vast amounts of sexualized content. And Christians, the world that we live in today, we ought to be waging war against the world. We have to be waging war against the world's definition of what sexuality is versus what the Bible says sexuality is. So prayerfully this morning, as we go through the seventh commandment together as the 9am congregation, that we will be prompted, that we will be commanded, we will be compelled to do what the seventh commandment requires of us. And that is to have a high view of a biblical sexuality that God desires. So if you have a service order with you, uh, the outline is there for you to follow. But my main point of this morning's sermon is this, that the seventh commandment commands us to three things. The seventh commandment commands us to be loyal, to be pure, and to be satisfied. And yes, that is also the three points of this morning's sermon, so you can follow along as well. So firstly, the seventh commandment commands us to be loyal in the area of marriage. Because the narrow definition or the literal meaning of the seventh commandment is do not commit adultery, do not have extra marital affairs as married people. And the word adultery that appears in Exodus chapter 20 verse 14 means voluntary sexual intercourse with someone other than your lawful husband or lawful wife. And if you think about it, adultery is actually wanting or craving something that does not belong to you. 
which therefore is also a violation of the Ten Commandments, which we'll see in three weeks later. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's, adultery is wanting something that does not belong to you. And this act of adultery, this voluntary sexual intercourse with someone other than your lawful spouse is punishable by death. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 says so, that both the persons caught in adultery are to be condemned and punished by death. So the question is, why is this so serious? Why is committing adultery such a heinous thing that is violation is punishable by crime? Because if you think about it, adultery happens when two people are married. And who instituted marriage? God. God instituted the covenant of marriage. You see, marriage is a big theme in the Bible. Genesis begins with a marriage. God created Adam, God created Eve, and they are joined in one flesh. The New Testament talks about that our marriage here on earth is to reflect the relationship of Christ and the church. And in Revelation, it actually ends with a wedding that all of God's people, if you are a Christian here today, that all of us will gather together one day to, sup, to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb where all of us will be saying, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Friends, marriage is not a human institution. It's not created by Hollywood and Western culture. Marriage is not seen and made from movies. No, marriage is created and instituted by God. And because of that, God demands loyalty. That when, actually, when you are disloyal to your spouse, when you're unfaithful to your spouse, you violate the very covenant of marriage that God instituted. And Jesus says, as we read just now in our gospel reading, that that is a grounds for divorce. A very serious thing. The Bible teaches us that marriage is between one man and one woman. I'll emphasize that again and again this morning. One man and one woman. And that requires loyalty between the man and the woman. And if you think about it, the seventh commandment actually reminds us of the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments. You see, the first commandment tells us that you shall have no other gods before me. And in essence, it's saying, be loyal to one God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh. But actually, the seventh commandment, in essence, says this, a similar thing. It says that you shall have no other spouse but the one that you have currently. Be loyal, be faithful to your one spouse. And it's no wonder that if you read through the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Hosea, that you see when Israel and Judah were disloyal to God, God actually calls Israel and Judah adulterous you adulterous generation. Friends, when you are disloyal in your marriage, it actually shows a deeper reality. It shows that you are actually disloyal to God. When you are disloyal in your marriage, it shows that you are disloyal towards God. You see, when David sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and after he realized the terrible act that he's done, as we read in our psalm reading, this is what David says. He says, Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David was not praying to Uriah. David was not praying to Bathsheba. David was praying to God that he knew that his act of adultery was ultimately an act of disloyalty towards God. You see, when two people get married, 
they are joined in one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 tells us that, that they are joined in one flesh. Thus, when someone commits adultery, it breaks that one flesh union between one man and one woman. When a third person is sinfully introduced and brought into that marriage, that one fleshness of that marriage is violated. So friends, if you are married here this morning, a very firm reminder, there is no third person in your marriage. You are to be exclusively loyal to your spouse alone and no one else. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says this, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Before the guys get too happy, this is what Paul says, Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Friends, sex is only strictly, exclusively, only for your spouse and no one else. Your bodies with regards to sexual pleasure that is reserved only for your wife and only for your husband is only for them. Which means when you're on a business trip, there is no visiting prostitutes. That means there is no private chats on your phone that your wife or your husband does not know about. There is no casual fling in the office or wherever you are. There is no room for any of that for the Christian. So be wary, friends. Be cautious at all times. Whether you are away from your husband and wife or whether you're just simply scrolling through your phone by any means necessary, do not, and I mean do not, put yourself in a position to be tempted to commit adultery. Remember, marriage is an institution created by God. But marriage, your earthly marriage, is supposed to point to Christ's loyalty for the church and the church's submission to Christ. Christ showed his loyalty to us, church, by dying for our sins. And church, we show our loyalty to Christ by submitting and obeying His commands. Married people, we are to show loyalty to one another by loving each other unconditionally and loving each other and being loyal to one another. So that's the goal. A very weighty goal, but that's the goal. One of the goals of the seven commandments. So that's for married people for you to consider. But a lot of there are single people that are sitting here. So... How do us single people especially, or the church at last, this 9am congregation, how can we be helping one another in marriage? How can we be, as a church, cheering people on in their marriage? Because I reckon and I think that marriage is not just between the husband and the wife solely. That actually as a church, that we play a pretty crucial role in supporting them and cheering for them. So one of the things that we can do actually is very simply pray for the married people in our church. Pray that God will sustain their marriage. If you are able to, maybe you can ask a married couple, hey, bro, hey, sis, I, let me take care of your kids, if they allow. Lah, huh? Let me take care of your kids so you can go out on a date, so you can go out and have a nice time together to, do, to really bond and fellowship between husband and wife. Or if you are a married couple, why not go on a double date if you are able to? A two married couple that you go out together and that you spur each other on in marriage. Because the reality is this, when we do that as a church, it actually shows that, bro, sis, I value your marriage. 
It tells us, it shows that God, I agree to a high view of marriage, that marriage is not just one of the other things in life. No, marriage is very important. And by showing that, we're actually showing our support and love to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That instead of gathering together and be like, ayah, why my wife like that? Or why my husband so... Why she don't always understand? Like, instead of coming together and complaining about your spouse all the time, now there's a place and time for that of good and honest reflection, I get it. I'm not married, so you can shoot me later. But rather, more often than not, instead of doing that, spur each other on in the gospel to have a loyal, loving marriage that God would desire for you. So that's the first point. Being loyal to your marriage. The seventh commandment commands us to be loyal in the area of marriage. Second point. The seventh commandment commands us to be pure from sexual sin or sexual immorality. Now this has both implications if you are married here or you are single here. Because the first thing that we need to understand is this. Sex belongs strictly and exclusively under the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Thus, if you are a single person here especially, it means this, you are not to have sex with anybody because you're not married. One of my mentors actually gave me a very helpful but very shocking imagery that if you are a single person, that if you have sex before marriage, or even if you are boyfriend and girlfriend and you are too physically intimate and too physically touchy with one another, that actually you are sinning against that person's future spouse. And worse than that, you're actually sinning against the God who values that person's sexual purity. That in some sense, you have committed adultery because that person is either not your wife yet or husband, or that person is someone else's future spouse. Either way, you're not to have sex with them or even be too physically intimate with them because you are not married. And that means something for the seventh commandment. That the seventh commandment is telling us that any, and I mean any sexual act outside of the covenant of marriage is sexual immorality. I mentioned sex before, marriage, that is sin. Pornography that often leads to masturbation is sexual sin. Both homosexual and heterosexual sins are condemned by the Bible. Incest, bestiality, the list goes on. The Bible condemns all of this as sexual sin. But why does it do that? Why is sexual immorality bad? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, it says this, the epistle reading we read just now. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The passage continues saying that as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will also raise us up in power. That friends, we just celebrated Easter three weeks ago. And the reality is that Jesus' resurrection is, signifies our resurrection unto new life. That the Christian has died to their sin and has been raised to new life unto Christ. So if that's the reality for the Christian, if God has raised you from your sin to new life, if Jesus has bought you with a price by dying for your sin, how can then we turn away from that 
and fall and look and indulge ourselves in sexual sin. Simply put, sexual sexual immorality is bad because it's sin against God. Yet sexual immorality is more than just what you do with your bodies. It's more than physical stuff because Jesus actually takes it deeper. That in the Sermon in the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus brings sexual immorality away from our outward action into our inward being. That it's not enough just to abstain from physical sexual immorality, but rather Jesus calls us to a mind that is pure and away from lustful thoughts. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, that whoever looks at a woman or a man with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So for example, in the case of pornography and masturbation, that although that you are not having physical sex with the person, but the thing that you are watching, the thoughts that you have when you masturbate, Jesus calls that lustful. Jesus calls that impure and therefore it is sin against God. So friends, consider your hearts this morning with regards to the lust in your mind. Because I reckon that most of us, I think, I don't know, but I think have not committed actual adultery. But I think that 95, 99, if not all of us seated here today have committed adultery with our hearts. And God is telling you, telling us this morning, through the seventh commandment, to be pure from sexual sin. God gives us a very serious call to purity. So much so that in that Matthew 5 passage in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus links the severity of that sin with the reality of hell. That we have to remember, Jesus is not just concerned of of your moral piety. That Jesus is not just concerned of how well you look on the outside. But Jesus is concerned of your salvation, of people's salvation. That Jesus knows that sexual sin has the ability to take your heart so captive that it actually reveals to you that, hey, I don't want God. I want this sex. I want this sexual sin in my life rather than God. And when we do that, that is worthy of condemnation in hell. That is better for one of our members than our whole body to enter into hell. Matthew chapter 5, 29 and 30. And Jesus warns us of this severe consequence of sexual sin by giving a very extreme imagery. Cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. Now, don't do that after the service. Don't do that. But Jesus is simply just showing the severity of the sin, of how tempting sexual sin is, of how damaging sexual sin is. That Paul mentions that all other sin is committed outside the body, but sexual immorality is sin against our own bodies. The reality is that sexual sin may seem very sweet on paper, but the reality is that sexual sin only brings damage and harm not only to you, not only to your own body, but for the people around you. Pornography creates a very distorted view of sex in your mind. That, friends, of what you see on your screen is not sex. It's a distorted view. It's not a good view of sex. Adultery destroys the relationship between the man and the woman. 
But what if they have kids? What happens to the kids? It brings so much damage to the kids. I was at a St. Mary's school the other day and I was asking the kids one of the, one of, asking the kids many questions. But one of the questions I asked them was, what do you think of marriage? And one of the girls said that marriage is like a prison. I don't want to be in it. Why? And I asked her why. Because of my mommy and my daddy. Of how much they have ruined their view of it, that they themselves don't want to get married anymore. So friends, by any means necessary, do not allow yourself to be in a position to be tempted to sexual immorality. But if you are, which will happen if you are in that position, friends, run. Run far away. Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. He didn't just lay in bed and be like, yes, I can fight this. I'm strong enough. No, he ran away. Paul told Timothy, flee, run away from youthful passion. The ironic thing is the best way to fight sexual sin is to not fight it. It's to run away. And it's okay to run. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength for the Christian. The Christian is saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need your help to overcome this, to help me run away from my sexual sin. So let me encourage you and all of us here as the church. May we as a church, as this 9am congregation, may we encourage one another to sexual purity. May we hold each other accountable and ask each other tough questions and say, hey bro, preferably brother, brother, sister, sister, ask each other tough questions. Hey bro, how's your walk with God? Hey bro, how's, how's the marriage? How's the waifu? How, how are they doing? And to sisters, hey, how's, how's the husband? How's your marriage? Have you been faithful sexually to God? Another way, sisters and also brothers, when you come to church or in general, wherever you are, wear appropriately and modestly, according to Malaysian's context, of course. Wear appropriately and modestly so that you do not stumble each other when you come to church or even anywhere outside. In another way, let us consider as male and female, guys and girls, how we can be friends and cultivate good friendships without compromising one another, without causing each other to stumble, without giving like hints that will cause people to be sexually tempted. But the most important thing that we can do as a church is this. In order to pursue purity from sexual sin, the best thing we can do is to point each other to Jesus. That's the best thing that we can do. Which brings me to the final point of this morning's sermon, which is this. Third point, seventh commandment, the seventh commandment commands us to be satisfied in Jesus Christ alone. Now, someone in my GG, uh, if you're not from a growth group, I highly recommend that you join a growth group. But someone in my GG said this, and I find it really insightful. And it's going to be a very provocative sentence. And if it's offensive to you, I'll explain it. I'll nuance it later. But this is what my friend said. And I find it very insightful. He said, K-drama, or especially romantic K-drama. I know a lot of people here, you're going to watch K-drama, right? That K-drama is like pornography for women. Now, before you throw stones at me, not all K-drama is bad. 
Not all K-drama is bad. I mentioned romantic K-drama. But if you really think about that statement, there's actually a lot of truth in it. Just as porn is... Because guys are more visual, just as porn gives males a very distorted view of sex, and also to women, to be fair, by saying male in general are more prone to pornography than women. I think the statistics just show, right? But for women, right, that's for guys, right? That they, they, pornography gives them a very distorted view of sex. But for women, women generally are more emotional. And whether it's romantic K-dramas, romantic novels, or, or even sappy love songs, or whatever the case may be, that it gives women a very distorted view of what intimacy and love looks like. And yes, male, female, there are differences. But the point I'm trying to make is this, that although there are differences, male tend to go to pornography, women are more emotional, whatever it is. But the point I'm trying to make is that both male and female, actually the reason why they go to pornography, the reason why we go to romantic K-dramas or the things like that, is because deep down we are empty and meaningless and purposeless on the inside. We are lonely. And there's something in our heart that is yearning and searching for that satisfaction. You see, it's simply not enough to just be loyal to your spouse. It's not enough to just be pure from sexual immorality. Because unless the thing that your heart desires is fulfilled by the one and only thing that can give you satisfaction and meaning, you will always feel meaningless and hopeless. You will still tend to run back to your sin. Because nothing in this world can truly satisfy our hearts. Sexual sin cannot satisfy your hearts. Coming to church and doing moral, pious actions on the outside cannot satisfy your heart. Even your spouse, hate to break it to us, but your husband and wife cannot truly satisfy your hearts. As some single people here may be wondering, as long as I get married, my lust issues will go away. I am so sorry. I don't think it works that way. That yes, marriage is a gift given to us by God. But the reality is that lust is a heart issue. That a married older man once said this to me. That he said, yes, brother, the things that were attractive when you were a single person, the things that were sexually tempting when you were a single person, after you're married, they don't suddenly stop becoming attractive. They're still as tempting as ever. And that speaks to us, that the reality is that there's only one thing that truly satisfies our heart's desires, and that is Jesus alone. Friends, if you haven't heard this, listen. We are made to be in communion and in a right relationship with God. We are made to be totally satisfied in God alone. But because of our sins, we have chose to disregard this relationship with God and we've chosen to run to our sin. And that action itself by saying, hey God, you're not enough. I want this sex. I want this thing. That thing, friends, is condemnable as I mentioned earlier. That thing breaks the relationship with God. And whether we like to hear this or not, the reality is whether it's sexual sin or something else in this world, you and I have failed, have failed to be satisfied in Jesus alone. And I want you to ask yourself this question very honestly. That after that relationship, 
after that fling, after pornography, after that sex, are you actually satisfied in your hearts? Or deep down, are we just still empty and meaningless and purposeless on the inside? Now, some of you are feeling this way this morning. Some of you are convicted by listening to God's Word. And if you are, listen to the words of the Bible. That the truth of the Gospel is this, that Jesus Himself is the one who offers Himself as our object of satisfaction, as the proper right object of our worship. That the Bible says those who are fallen in our sin, which is all of us, Christ died for you. That those of you who think that you are unlovable and ugly because you have sinned against God, Christ says He loves you and died for you. Those who think there is no way, if you know my past, if you know what I have done, there is no way God can forgive you. But God says that Christ, through Christ, you can be forgiven, that your sins, past, present, future, have been forgiven in Christ on the cross. And that those of us who are searching for meaning and satisfaction in our hearts, Christ offers us Himself as the living water to drink, to partake, that He will satisfy our hearts. That is not enough to just run away from pornography and run to your job, your money, or to something else in this world to satisfy you. No. Friends, check your hearts. And to ask yourself the question, am I just running from item to item and worldly things to worldly things? Or am I running to Jesus this morning? Let me close this sermon with this. In John chapter 4, some of you know this story, right? It's Jesus and the woman at the well. So Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well. When they were, it's a well, they were drawing water. And Jesus knew exactly who this woman is. Jesus being fully God, fully man, he knows everything. And he knows that the woman that he's meeting at the well has a very, very messed up sexual past. That this woman had five husbands, and the current husband or the current man that, he's, that she is with is not even her husband. It's just someone that she is sleeping around with. Now, imagine you are that woman for a second. Imagine you are that woman, right? Which, by the way, this woman actually came to the well at a time where it was bright, sunny, which means that it's a very hot day where no one else will actually come to the well to draw water. Means this woman wanted to be alone means this woman actually is, she knew the extent of her sin. She knew the shamefulness that people would bring to her, that when people saw her, ah, this one, the adulterous woman. But instead, now imagine you're the woman and you met Jesus. That Jesus, instead of condemning this woman, look at what Jesus has to say. And I invite you to look at the screen because these are words of truth and words of hope. John chapter 4, verse 13, verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, it says, Everyone who drinks of this water that Jesus I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that Jesus gives will become spirit of water welling up to eternal life. For those of you who are feeling extremely shameful for the things that you have done, 
of the things you are currently doing. Let me give you good news. Just as Jesus didn't condemn the woman at the well, he does not condemn you. But he's calling you to turn away from your sin and put your trust and hope in Christ. Just as, he, just as Jesus calls the woman to drink of him, he is calling you to drink of him the water that brings eternal life so that you will never thirst again. And just as Jesus is calling the woman to worship him in spirit and in truth, Jesus is calling us to acknowledge him as the rightful, proper object and person of our worship and the true desires of our heart. Yes, be loyal to your marriage. I want to encourage that. Be pure from sexual immorality. I want to encourage that. But unless you are satisfied in Jesus, you'll just be running in circles and running in circles because you haven't found the true living water in Christ. And Jesus offers us that this morning. So let's be reminded of the gospel. Let's be reminded that sex cannot satisfy you, but only Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Dear merciful Father, we're deeply sorry. I'm deeply sorry for all the things, especially in the areas of sexual sin that we have done. How we have fallen short, not only physically, but inwardly in our thoughts. That how maybe some of us have not been faithful to our marriage and thus have not been faithful to you. And Lord, ultimately, that most of, if not all of us, Lord, are struggling to put our satisfaction and full trust in you. So Lord, help us in this area of sexual purity to find you, to drink of you, and to taste and see that you are good, that you are sweet, that you are precious beyond measure. And God, we ask that you help by the power of your Spirit to help us to do the things that Scripture commands us to do and find hope and meaning in you alone. And we pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.